Section 44 of The Cambridge Modern History, Volume 2, The Reformation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 13, Henry VIII, by James Gardner, Part 1. On his election to the empire, Charles became a much greater potentate in the eyes of all, and, as he was also the Queen of England's nephew, there were manifest reasons for England to desire his friendship. On the other hand, the close alliance of France, which Wolsey had twice succeeded in securing, however beneficial to England, was exceedingly unpopular it had scarcely been contracted when efforts were made to undermine it and soon a strong party at court headed by the queen herself endeavoured to prevent the french interview which had been arranged for april one fifteen nineteen from taking effect the new emperor equally desirous to counteract if he could not prevent the meeting agreed to visit england on his way from spain to germany matters however had to be arranged beforehand and though the anti-french party contrived to put off the visit to francis till june fifteen twenty it was only in april of that year that the imperial ambassador in england succeeded in concluding a specific treaty it was settled that the emperor should if possible land at sandwich in may just before the king went to france or if he failed to do so should have a meeting with henry at gravelines after the french interview he actually landed on may twenty six at dover barely in time for a very hurried visit next day which happened to be whit sunday the king conducted him to canterbury where he was introduced to the queen his aunt and attended service in the cathedral on the thirty-first he had to embark again for flanders in order that henry might fulfil his engagement with francis but a further meeting at gravelines after the french interview was promised wolsey meanwhile had taken care that this french interview should not be a failure a great deal of negotiation indeed had been found necessary but francis to facilitate matters at last put all the arrangements under Wolsey's control, so that they advanced rapidly. The king crossed from Calais to Dover the same day that the emperor embarked from Sandwich. At Guyenne, on June 6, he signed a treaty of which the counterpart was signed by Francis the same day at Ardre, partly bearing on the prospective marriage of Mary and the Dauphin, partly framed to secure French intervention in disputes with Scotland, in a form which should give England satisfaction. The interview took place on the 7th, in a spot between the English castle of Guine and the French castle of Ardres. The scene, magnificent beyond all precedent, even in that age of glitter, was called, from the splendor of the tents and apparel, the Field of Cloth of Gold and the mutual visits and festivities continued till the twenty-fourth when the two kings separated nothing could have appeared more cordial 
and the world was for some time under the impression that the alliance between england and france was now more firmly knit than ever and yet immediately afterwards the king with queen catherine proceeded by agreement to another meeting with the emperor at gravelines which took place on july ten on the fourteenth at calais a secret treaty was signed binding both henry and the emperor to make no further arrangements with france giving effect either to the marriage of the dauphin with mary or to that of charles himself with the french king's daughter charlotte a match to which he was bound by the treaty of noyon indeed there is no doubt that in their secret conferences both at canterbury and at calais the project had been discussed of setting aside agreements with france by both parties and marrying the emperor to the princess mary of these perfidious compacts francis was of course not directly informed but he was not to be persuaded that the two meetings with the emperor before and after the interview were mere matters of courtesy he felt however that it would be impolitic to display resentment the emperor was crowned at Aachen on october twenty three in april fifteen twenty one the duke of buckingham was summoned from gloucestershire to the king's presence and on his arrival in london was charged with treason information had been given against him of various incautious expressions tending to show that being of the blood of lancaster he had some expectation of succeeding to the crown the fulfilment of which events might hasten also that should he succeed wolsey and sir thomas lovell would be beheaded and further that if he had been arrested on an occasion when the king had been displeased with him he would have tried as his father had with richard the third to get access to the king's presence and would then have stabbed him that this testimony was strongly colored by malice there is little doubt but the duke had a formal trial before the duke of norfolk as high steward and was found guilty by seventeen of his peers he was beheaded on tower hill on may seventeen to the general regret of the people at this time francis i had stirred up war against the emperor who was already perplexed with a rebellion in spain while occupied in germany with luther and the diet of worms charles hard pressed was willing to accept henry's mediation and the french after some reverses for which their early success had not prepared them were glad to accept it also but the imperialists changed their tone with the change of fortune and demanded henry's aid by the treaty of london against the aggressor wolsey was sent to calais to hear deputies of both sides and adjust the differences on opening the conference he found the imperialists intractable they had no power to treat only to demand aid of england but wolsey they said might visit the emperor himself who was then at bruges to discuss matters this strange proceeding as state papers show had been certainly planned between wolsey and the imperialists beforehand and the cardinal suspended the conference making plausible excuses to the french while he went to the emperor at bruges and concluded with him a secret treaty against france on august twenty five 
it would seem however that the terms of this treaty were the subject of prolonged discussion before it was concluded and wolsey instead of being only eight days absent from calais as he told the frenchman he would be was away for nearly three weeks he had successfully contended among other things that if a suspension of hostilities could be obtained in the meantime england should not be bound to declare war against france till march fifteen twenty three on his return to calais he labored hard to bring about this suspension but in vain the capture of fuenterabia by the french in october and their refusal to restore it or even to put it into the hands of england for a time as security finally wrecked the conference and wolsey returned to england in november his health had given way at times during these proceedings and he was certainly disappointed at the result but he was rewarded by the king with the abbey of st albans in addition to his other preferments pope leo x died on december two following charles v had promised wolsey at bruges that on the first vacancy of the papal chair he would do his best to make him pope and the king sent pace to rome to help to procure his election the emperor wrote to wolsey that he had not forgotten his promise but he certainly did not keep it and in january fifteen twenty two adrian the sixth was elected it may be doubted whether wolsey was much disappointed but he knew now what reliance to place on a promise of charles v on february two he and the papal ambassador presented to the king the deceased pope's bull bestowing upon him the title of defender of the faith in acknowledgment of the service he had done the church by writing a book against luther henry had been more eager to take part with the emperor than wolsey thought prudent charles now required a loan and claimed from henry fulfilment of a promise of the pay of three thousand men in the netherlands he was already in henry's debt but wolsey was disposed to allow him a further advance of one hundred thousand crowns on condition that the king should not be called on to declare openly against francis till the money was refunded this did not suit charles at all and he hastened on another visit which he was to pay to henry on his way back to spain and arrived at dover again in fifteen twenty two on may twenty sixth the very day of his landing there two years before he was feasted and entertained even more than he cared for at greenwich london and windsor at which last place on june nineteenth he bound himself by a new treaty to marry mary when she had completed her twelfth year but he secured a further loan of fifty thousand crowns and had the satisfaction during his stay of seeing henry committed to immediate war with france by an open declaration of hostility which the english herald clarencio made to francis at lyons on may twenty nine on july two a further treaty was concluded for the conduct of the war and on the sixth the emperor sailed from southampton just before his departure he gave wolsey a patent for a pension of twenty five hundred ducats on vacant bishoprics in spain 
and guaranteed him the continuance of another pension which francis had hitherto paid him in recompense for the bishopric of tournay that city having surrendered to the imperialists on december one but spanish pensions were commonly in arrear and that charged on the spanish bishoprics was only in lieu of one specifically charged on the see of badajoz which the emperor had already granted to wolsey in fifteen twenty nor was charles at all ready at any time when called upon to pay his debts to the king himself it was no surprise to francis when england declared war against him as a means of keeping henry in check he had again let albany find his way to scotland while the calais conferences were still going on in fifteen twenty one he pretended that he had not connived at albany's escape and he made a show of urging him to return but he meant to make use of him in scotland albany on his arrival desired of henry a prolongation of the truce between the two kingdoms in which france should be included evidently france was so impoverished by taxation that she would have been glad to stave off war by any means but henry would hear nothing about prolonging the truce while albany was in scotland and he wrote to the estates of that country in january fifteen twenty two not to allow him to remain there seeing that he had escaped from france surreptitiously and his presence was not even safe for their king this was just what henry had told them before but it was a stranger plea to urge than formerly for this time queen margaret james v's own mother had solicited albany's return she indeed had found it hard to live amid a factious nobility especially as she had been neglected by her own husband from whom she was now seeking a divorce but henry had small regard for his sister's good name and insinuated that it was albany who had tried to separate her from her husband with the intention of marrying her himself such a charge was scarcely even plausible for albany had a wife then living with whom as he told the english herald he was perfectly satisfied the estates of scotland made a very temperate but firm reply saying they were prepared to live and die with their governor while both margaret and albany repelled the shameful insinuations against them certainly not with greater vehemence than the case deserved henry then sent a fleet to the firth of forth and some raids into scotland took place in which kelso was partly burned as to france so soon after the declaration of war as the wind would serve and bad victualling arrangements permit a force under the earl of surrey as lord admiral sailed from southampton and on july one sacked and burned the town of morlaix in brittany setting fire to the shipping in the harbour it then returned with a rich booty to the solin for the merchants of morlaix had stores of linen cloths there was also some desultory fighting about calais and boulogne but nothing noteworthy was done till september when Surrey, now the commander of an invading force, in cooperation with an imperial army, burned and destroyed with great barbarity a number of places in Picardy. Hesdin also was besieged and the town much injured, 
but it was found difficult to assault the castle and the besiegers withdrew the season was wet the artillery difficult to move and the understanding between the allies not altogether satisfactory surrey's empty victories won him great applause in england but he returned to calais in october meantime the scots had created some alarm in may for want of french support albany had been on the point of withdrawing from the country and letting peace be made when some slender succors came moreover the english raids called for retribution albany advanced to the borders at the head of a very numerous army intending to invade england on september two though the design was known even in july when the earl of shrewsbury was appointed lieutenant-general of an army to be sent against scotland the borders were ill-prepared to resist and carlisle against which albany's great host was directed was defenceless but lord dacre warden of the marches was equal to the emergency towards the close of august he sent secret messages to albany which led to negotiations though he acknowledged that he had no powers to treat and he appealed to margaret to use her influence for peace which would become more hopeless than ever between the kingdoms if arrangements were not made at once he effectually concealed the weakness of his own position and caused the enemy to waste time till at length on september eleven albany agreed with him for one month's abstinence from war and disbanded his army wolsey was much relieved and dacre was thanked for his astuteness it was in vain now that albany in further negotiations pressed for the comprehension of france and he sailed again for that country in october leaving a council of regency in scotland and promising to return in the following august much money was wanted for the french war wolsey had not only levied from the city of london a loan of twenty thousand pounds but afterwards on august twenty had sent for the mayor and chief citizens to inform them that commissioners were appointed over all the country to swear every man to the value of his movable property of which it was thought that every one should give a tenth and though some had already contributed to the loan as much as a fifth of their goods they were told that the loan would only be allowed as part of the tenth to be exacted from the whole city nor was even this enough for parliament which had not met for more than seven years was called in april fifteen twenty three expressly for further supplies a subsidy of eight hundred thousand pounds was demanded for which the commons were asked to impose a property tax of four shillings in the pound on every man's goods and lands sir thomas more who was elected speaker backed up the demand but it was resisted as impossible there was not coin it was said out of the king's hands in all the realm to pay it cardinal wolsey came down to the house and would have discussed the matter but the commons pleaded their privileges and he contented himself with setting before them evidences of the increased prosperity of the country and withdrew after long debate a grant was made of 
two shillings in the pound payable in two years on every man's lands or goods who was worth twenty pounds with smaller rates on men of inferior means but wolsey insisted that this was not enough and ultimately further grants were made of one shilling in the pound on landed property to be paid in three years and one shilling in the pound on goods to be paid in the fourth year the amount was unprecedented the parliament sat continuously except for a break at whitsuntide till august thirteen when it was dissolved the clergy were also taxed at the same time through their convocations that of canterbury meeting at first at st paul's and that of york under wolsey at westminster an attempt of wolsey to induce them to resolve themselves into a single national synod failed they were permitted to vote their money in the usual way and after much opposition a grant was made of half a year's revenue from all benefices payable in five years the war which had languished somewhat since surrey's invasion of france was now renewed with greater vigour in august the duke of suffolk was appointed captain-general of a new invading army a larger one it was said than had sailed from england for a hundred years france was not only in great poverty but was now isolated scotland could not help her and her old ally venice had turned against her not being allowed to remain neutral moreover henry was calculating on the disaffection of the duke of bourbon with whom both he and the emperor had been for some time secretly in communication in september the duke's sudden defection took francis by surprise and compelled him to desist from conducting personally a new expedition into italy meanwhile suffolk having crossed the channel was joined by a considerable force under count van buren not however well provided with wagons and means of transport while france was harassed elsewhere by the imperialists but the invading armies were weakened by divided councils a plan of besieging boulogne was given up and the allies only devastated picardy took bray by assault and compelled ancre and montdidier to surrender it was reported in england that suffolk was on his way to paris and that he might have the means to follow up his advantages commissions were issued on november two to press all over england for what was called an anticipation that is to say for payment by those possessed of forty pounds in lands or goods of the first assessment of the subsidy before the term when it was legally due the money was gathered in but before the month of november was out buren had disbanded his forces and suffolk had returned to calais a severe frost had produced intense suffering and it was found impossible to preserve discipline the king had determined to send over lord mountjoy with reinforcements but before he could be sent the english troops had taken their own way home through flanders and many of them shipped at antwerp slyes and newport meantime though later than he promised eluding english efforts to intercept him albany had again crossed the sea to scotland 
during all the time of his absence henry had persistently tried to undermine his influence and weaken the scotch alliance with france for this it was not difficult to make further use of margaret who in the hope of seeing her old authority restored was soon persuaded once more to desert albany a truce had been arranged with the lords without reference to him and albany in france took serious alarm at rumours that henry had been negotiating to keep him permanently out of scotland with the suggestion of marrying james to the princess mary but the truce was allowed to expire in february when surrey was appointed lieutenant-general of the army against scotland and under his direction the marquis of dorset who was appointed warden of the east marches invaded teviotdale in april fifteen twenty three a series of further invasions was kept up all through the summer and just when albany returned in september surrey succeeded in laying jedburgh in ashes till then a great fortified town more populous than berwick he met however with a most obstinate resistance and was thrown on the defensive when albany immediately on his arrival prepared to invade in his turn knowing the weakness of berwick and the strength of albany's reinforcements surrey was seriously alarmed but wolsey had reason for believing his fears to be exaggerated as the event proved them to be encumbered by heavy artillery albany moved slowly and at last laid siege to wark castle on november one the fortress seemed in real danger the outer works being actually won but the garrison made a gallant defence and next day as surrey was coming to the rescue albany suddenly gave up the siege and returned to edinburgh his mysterious retreat was branded by the english as a shameful flight and satirized in contemptuous verse by skelton the poet laureate but the truth seems to be that several of the scotch lords deprecated a policy of invasion as being only in the interest of france albany's influence was clearly on the wane for next year he met a parliament in may and again obtained leave for a brief visit to france on the understanding that if he did not return in august his authority was at an end he left immediately and never returned again meanwhile on the death of adrian the sixth in september fifteen twenty three charles v again promised with the same insincerity as before to advance wolsey's candidature for the papacy as advantageous alike to england and himself but on november nineteen giuliano de medici a great friend of both princes was elected as clement the seventh he soon after confirmed for life wolsey's legatine authority which at first had been only temporary but had been prolonged from time to time in fifteen twenty four the war made little progress after february when the emperor recovered fuenterabia all parties were exhausted but little came of the mission of a nuncio nicholas von schomberg archbishop of capua whom the pope sent to france spain and england successively to mediate a peace negotiations went on with bourbon on the part both of the emperor and henry for a joint attack on france 
but the king and wolsey had long suspected the emperor's sincerity and were determined that there should be either peace or war in earnest bourbon invaded provence and laid siege to marseilles whereupon orders were issued in england september ten to prepare for a royal invasion in aid of the duke the siege of marseilles in itself was entirely in the emperor's interest no english army crossed the channel and bourbon was forced to abandon the enterprise henry in the meantime had been feeling his way to a separate peace with france in case the emperor showed himself remiss in fulfilling his engagements in june a genoese merchant giovanni joaquino passano came over to london as if on ordinary business he was soon known to be an agent of louise of savoy the french king's mother who had been left regent in her son's absence his stay in england was unpopular with the english but his secret negotiations with wolsey were disavowed and in january fifteen twenty five another french agent brinon president of rouen joined him in london francis seeing how matters lay made a sudden descent into italy and recovered milan which he had lost in the spring but the protracted siege of pavia ended with the defeat and capture of the french king which seemed to throw everything into the emperor's hands and it was not likely that he would share with his allies the fruits of his victory wolsey however had been ordering matters so as to secure his master's interests whether the french should succeed or fail in italy and just before the news of the battle reached england he had taken a most extraordinary step to cover his communications with the french agent a watchman arrested one night a messenger of de prayer the imperial ambassador as a suspicious character his letters were taken and brought to wolsey who first opened and read them then sent for the ambassador and upbraided him for the terms very uncomplimentary certainly to himself in which he had dared to write to his own sovereign the king himself followed this up by a letter to the emperor desiring him to punish de prayer as a mischief-maker trying to disturb the cordiality between them and charles afraid to alienate henry made only a mild remonstrance against the insult just after this occurrence and before news had yet arrived of the great event at pavia an important embassy came over from flanders from the emperor's aunt margaret of savoy this situation in italy was then so doubtful and the imperial forces there so distressed for want of means that england was to be urged to send a large army over sea to create a diversion by a new joint attack on the north of france another request was that the princess mary and her dowry might be given up to them at once or sent over as early as possible in anticipation of the time appointed by the treaty the first point wolsey was willing to concede if assured of sufficient cooperation from flanders but the conditions he required were declared by the flemings to be quite impossible in the exhausted condition of the country the second demand looked strange enough and wolsey asked what adequate hostages they could give for a young princess who was the treasure of the kingdom 
would they meanwhile put some of their fortified towns into the king's hands this too the ambassadors said could not be thought of and the embassy had made little progress when on march nine the news from pavia reached london the king professed delight at the emperor's victory bonfires were lighted wine flowed freely for everyone in the streets and on sunday the twelfth a solemn mass was celebrated by wolsey at st paul's the cardinal then at the request of the flemings dismissed brinon and passano and strongly urged that now was the time for both allies to put forth all their strength they might completely conquer france between them and henry meeting the emperor in paris would accompany him to rome for his coronation the scheme of course was preposterous but the proposal of it to the emperor by the english ambassadors in spain wrung from him the confession that he had no money to carry on the war with other admissions besides which proved clearly that he was really seeking to break off his engagement to the princess mary and was bent on a more advantageous match with isabella of portugal thus england was to obtain nothing in return for all her loans to the emperor but the emperor as it soon appeared meant to make his own terms with his prisoner and keep to himself entirely the profits of a joint war in which indeed english aid had profited him little meanwhile the victory at pavia was declared in england to be a great opportunity for the king to recover his rights in france by conducting a new invasion in aid of which commissions were issued to levy further contributions called an amicable grant though some installments of the parliamentary subsidy had still to be received as commissioner for the city of london wolsey called the lord mayor and aldermen before him telling them that he and the archbishop of canterbury had each given a third part of their revenues and urging that persons of over fifty pounds income might well contribute a sixth of their goods according to their own valuation made in fifteen twenty two at this there was very natural discontent the more so as many had incurred serious losses since that date but the matter was pressed both in london and in the country the demand was generally resisted at reading the people would only give a twelfth in suffolk the duke of suffolk persuaded them to give a sixth but the clothiers said it would compel them to discharge their men and a serious rising took place at last instead of a forced demand wolsey persuaded the king to be content with a voluntary benevolence but a new objection was raised that benevolences were illegal by an act of richard the third and ultimately the king had to give up the demand altogether and to pardon the insurgents wolsey told the citizens that the demand was abandoned because the french king's capture had disposed him to make suit to england for an honourable peace for if the king had not crossed the sea he alleged the money would have been returned and now it would probably not be required but until peace was actually concluded they must still hold themselves prepared to make further sacrifices 
thus did wolsey smooth the way for a policy of peace with france which he was now actively pursuing passano who had not ceased to hold indirect communication with him again appeared in london in june no longer as a secret agent but as an accredited ambassador from louise of savoy now ennobled with the title of the seigneur de vaux he concluded with wolsey a forty days truce but the flemings immediately concluded one for five months with france and the truce concluded by de vaux was prolonged to december one by brinon who soon followed him again to england with a commission to both for a more lasting treaty the terms required by wolsey were hard but demands made at first for a cession of ardres or boulogne were given up and the old payments exacted from france were increased to a capital sum of two million crowns payable at the rate of one hundred thousand crowns a year after long discussions with wolsey a set of five treaties were signed at his palace of the moor in hertfordshire on august thirty the most important being a league for mutual defence in which henry bound himself to use his influence with the emperor to induce him to set francis at liberty on reasonable conditions at the request of the frenchman peace was proclaimed a week later september six the pope the venetians and other italian powers who dreaded the overwhelming ascendancy of the emperor were glad of this arrangement between france and england but it had little effect on the emperor's conduct towards his prisoner who by this time had been conveyed to madrid his sister margaret duchess of alencon came to spain to treat for his liberation but the conditions demanded by the emperor were such as she had no power to grant the chief difficulty concerned the cession of burgundy but francis fell dangerously ill and on his recovery he agreed to concede even this for the sake of liberty on january fourteenth fifteen twenty six he signed the treaty of madrid with all its onerous terms including among other things the promise to refund the sum of five hundred thousand crowns due from the emperor to henry england had been unable to do anything to mitigate the severity of the conditions henry indeed had sent a new ambassador dr edward lee to spain with that object but it was easy to prevent either him or his colleagues from effectually interfering with the negotiations after the treaty was signed however francis told them that he was grateful to henry above all princes living for not having invaded france and that henry should know his secret mind upon some things as soon as he had returned to his realm what he meant by this we may imagine from the sequel End of section forty four recording by linda johnson